Welcome to church. I like to start off by saying that people today, people today, you and I and everyone around us are deeply concerned about identity. We're deeply concerned about our identity. We are concerned about uh, who or what we should be describing ourselves to be, or who or what we should be dedicating our lives to. We're concerned about identity because whoever we describe ourselves to be is exactly what we will then dedicate our lives to being or to doing. A person's identity is closely linked to purpose, self-worth, and meaning. And so, consequently, over the years, there have been hundreds, maybe countless of articles and classes and books written where you are told you can discover your true purpose, your true identity. You're told you can discover your, your worth, your real human worth. You can unlock your human potential. There are countless schemes designed to help us understand ourselves at a much deeper level. There are countless books written with the aim of helping us discover our self-worth. Yet, as good as these man-centered ideas sound, they have one major flaw. Every single one of them has one major flaw. See, every book written claiming to hold the key to our true identity, our meaning, and our purpose for existence, every seminar designed to unleash our limitless potential, and everything aimed at helping us discover our true self has one major flaw. All of them are void of God's word and God's wisdom. All of them are simply opinions because they are void of the truth of what God has told us. So consequently, our desire then is to make sense of it all. We're bombarded with trying to understand who we are and told that we need a purpose and told that we have to figure out our own meaning. And so it creates this identity crisis within us. We don't exactly know who we are or what we are to be. We're not sure if we should be describing ourselves or identifying with our skin color or our gender or our hobbies or our work or our wealth or our children. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. Who am I supposed to identify with? What am I supposed to identify myself with? This confusion within us produces anxiety, depression, malice, anger, bitterness, when the human heart lives in confusion, we suffer. People suffer when the human heart is confused. And so void of God's word and God's wisdom, our pursuit to discover this purpose, our meaning for existence, it essentially is a worthless pursuit. Void of anything God has told us or what God has proclaimed in the world, if we do this on our own, looking to others for the answer, it is a worthless pursuit because it only and always leads back to the human heart, to a someone's opinion. If one thing is true, if I think maybe we would agree, not all of us would agree on much here, but if, if one thing that we could agree on is that the human heart is sick, we can observe the world around us and realize that the human, there is something wrong in the world and we don't quite understand how we can make it right. We, we may not necessarily understand why it's wrong, but there's something that says, I don't understand why the world is the way it is. Jeremiah 17, 9, it's a book in your Old Testament, the prophet, he said this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things, the human heart is deceitful, desperately sick. And then he says, who can understand it? The human heart is deceitful and desperately sick. 
In our attempt to discover this purpose and the meaning for our life, we fall short when we rely on what we feel or what we think or what we want. Because it all comes out of our heart. The heart is the, the seat of your emotions. It is, it is a seat of who you are. It's not just a, a muscle that pumps blood. It is all that you are is found in your heart. If we remove God from our reasoning, if we remove God from his rightful place as the creator and authority, we will always end up not with truth, but with mere opinions. Everyone, everywhere is going to have an opinion about who we are and what we're here for and what we are to be doing and what we are to not be doing. Everyone will have an opinion if we remove God from his place as creator and authority. Well, the, the spirit of the age today, when I say that, I mean, you know, just the way the world is operating, the way we think, the way we, do we act. The spirit of the age is not much different than the spirit of the age when the Ephesus church received a letter from Paul. Paul, who is the author of this letter to the Ephesians, he addresses the church And they live in a spiritually dark city full of idol worship, mysticism, man-centered ideas about what life is all about. Those Ephesian citizens who believed in Jesus would have come up against these dark forces time and time again, attempting to crush their spirit, attempting to discourage their new way of thinking, and attempting to discourage their new way of living, attempting to destroy the understanding that they have in their new identity in Jesus Christ. The Ephesian Christians who once worshipped at the temple of the great Diana were chosen by God, saved by the cross of Jesus Christ, and then blessed with all the blessings which are found in the person of Jesus Christ. And there they were. There they were living in a city where Jesus is not worshipped as Lord, where Jesus is not looked to as the king of creation. There they remained, living within their new identity, but constantly be reminded of their old identity. Paul sends a letter to the Ephesians, the Christian church, and he starts by referring to them as saints, a simple yet profound title given to those who who are blameless before God, given to those who are Christians, who are believers, who are faithful. Those people can walk into the throne room of God and they will be blameless. They can come before God because they are holy, they are set apart, they are forgiven, they are cleansed. They are saved. And then for the next 11 verses, he continues to write the most dense, durable, truth-filled sentence he can think of. The 11 verses that were read to you in the original, uh, in the original language is one long run-on sentence. It just, there's, that's why it's actually difficult to read if you were to read it yourself. It's just one long sentence. Paul doesn't even stop for anything. He just keeps writing and writing and writing. One thought. In a sense, Paul is telling the church, hey, family, remember who your God is. Remember what he has done for you because when you do, because when you remember who he is and when you remember what he has done for you, you will have a true understanding of who you are and what you were created for. You will understand who God has made you to be and what he has set you free to do. As a father of the Fab Five, I call them, I'm given plenty of opportunities to say a lot of things. I'm always, it seems like I'm always speaking. With five children, there's always somebody doing something. So you're always trying to speak. You're always giving advice. You're always giving instruction. You're always providing correction, much correction in the Gilfillan home. But then, it, I do cherish that. I love being a father and a parent, and I, I, I love the responsibility of that. But then there are those times where you get to say things to your children that I get to say things to my children. There are those things that I hope that they never, ever forget. 
they, they often forget some of the correction I give them because they just do it the next day. And so I have to go at it again. But then I get the opportunity to say some things that I would hope shape, would shape their life, that they would never forget. Statements like, God has given you to me. You are a blessing. You are a gift. You are precious. You are beautiful. I am your father. You are my child. I tell them I love them with a jealous type of love that only their mother and God can truly understand. This is true for every home. I love them with a jealous type of love, a kind of love that only God and their mother can understand. No matter where you go or what you do in this life or what you don't do in this life, your daddy will love you the same today as he loved you when mom said she was pregnant with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter where you fail, no matter where you succeed, the father's love is with you. My love is with you. That will never change. All of who I am, I give to you. All I have been blessed with, I am now blessing you with. Those are some of the things I say things to my children over and over and over again because I want them to know no matter where they go or what they do, I want those truths to ring in their head very, very clear. I want them to know that the love their father has for them will never depart from them. Church, when we find ourselves maybe being tricked into temptation, and when we find ourselves down in the pit, you know, maybe you've had one of those weeks. All we need is a good, solid reminder of who we are. All we need is a reminder of who God is. And then we should be reminded at our new identity that he has blessed us with. We are not who we once were. We are who he has created us to be. So in that same way that I encourage my children and other parents and loved ones encourage one another. Paul encourages his brothers and sisters in the city of Ephesus. He reminds them that God has chosen them. God has chosen them. He reminds them that God has assigned to them worth, real, true, substantial worth. They are worthy because of what Jesus has done for them. He reminds them that God has saved them for a purpose. He reminds them that they will be blessed for all eternity because of what Jesus has accomplished on their behalf. So what we will see in these 11 verses is how through Jesus Christ, God has blessed his church beyond measure. He has blessed you, if you are a believer here, beyond measure. Through Jesus Christ, God has produced to us, he's given to us the exact thing we've been searching for our entire lives a true sense of meaning and worth. He's given us our identity. The big idea is this. God's blessing to us is a new identity for us. God's blessing to you and to me is that he has given us a new identity. And so this kind of works itself out in three ways, and we're not going to necessarily go verse by verse, verse by verse, but I've broken it up into three different sections. We're going to look at the source of this blessing, there's going to be a source where it comes from, the delivery of the blessing. Someone's got to bring it to us. Then the security of the blessing, the source, the delivery, and the security of our blessing in Christ, our new identity. Paul begins verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
even as he, that's Jesus, chose us before him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God, the Father, is the source of the identity. God, the Father, is the source of our identity. If we focus on that phrase, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul here brings us back to the beginning. In fact, Paul brings us back before the beginning. Back to when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed in perfect unity. He brings us back to that pre-creation eternity. And in that pre-creation eternity, God did something truly special. He put you and he put me together with Christ. He put us together with Christ. In his mind, God puts you together with Christ. He, he was determined to make you his child. He decreed that you would be his. He determined to adopt you as his daughter or as his son. And friends, it was definite. He does not waver. He does not go back on what he says. Before creation was a thing, before time and space was a thing, he has chosen you. More importantly, the idea of putting us together with Christ was done, although, Paul says, we had no merit. We had no worthiness in us yet. We had not done anything to earn it. We did not know how special or not special some of us would be. God put us together in Christ, although we had nothing to offer. No good works, no good deeds, no righteous living. We had nothing to give him. Maybe more importantly to know that the idea of putting you together with Christ was done when you didn't deserve it. You had yet to deserve anything. How, how, how much does this point to the graciousness of God? How merciful he is. How gracious, meaning he's given you something you don't even deserve. He did that before creation was creation. He adopted you as his child before you were created, and he did so. Friends, he did so knowing that you would rebel against him. He did so knowing. He, choose, he chose you knowing that your heart would hate him. He chose you when he knew that your sin would put his son on the cross. He chose you. The source of our identity is found in the one and only all-powerful creator God who has what? Who has blessed us in Jesus Christ. That's our identity. That is who we are. When condemnation comes your way, when, when those, those things from the past come and remind you of how wicked you were, or how dirty you are, or how not complete you are. We must, be, we must remember who we are. We are put together with Christ. We have been given a new identity. We have been blessed with everything Christ has been blessed with. We are one with our creator. At one time, we, we lived apart from God. We lived separated from him. We hated him. Our heart didn't really want to be near him. We had our own throne, our own rule. 
You know, we, we made our own decisions. I am my own person. I can do what I need to do. At one point, we sat in the council of the wicked. We sat in our own council. We, we decided to rule our lives. And knowing that, he still chose us to be blameless before him. He saved us from our sin. And so we would live out the rest of our days now, not wondering what we are here for or who we are supposed to be, but so we can live out the rest of our days experiencing the blessing of his presence because he had put us together in Christ. What if we began to live according to this truth? What if your household, the circles in which you operate in and live within, the workplace in which you operate in, what if this truth started to permeate the human heart and the human mind? What if the new identity had the power to release you from the endless pursuit of finding meaning and purpose? Some of us are tired. We're exhausted because we have spent our entire lives attempting to create some sort of identity for ourselves. And it is, listen, it is destroying us. Void of God's word and God's wisdom. Your pursuit to fashion an identity for yourself based on what you see or how you feel is going to destroy you. If you find meaning and purpose within your career, if that's how you identify yourself, you will be destroyed when that career ends or when it doesn't work out the way you've planned or when you're not hired for that job or when you don't get that promotion, or when you're not known by that title, you will be crushed. If you find meaning and purpose in this life within the relationships you form, your life will be marked by this, by this revolving door of failed relationship after failed relationship. Why? Because there's not a person in this world who you can give your life to that will provide for you that meaning and that purpose that you long for. There's not a purpose, person in this world that will help you discover that meaning or that purpose. Only when you know you've been put together in Christ will that become true to you. If your success and your wealth, if that's what gives you this deep measure of meaning and purpose, the anxiety levels you will live with will be unbearable. Because you will have to keep feeding the machine of success. And if, if everyone doesn't see you for who you truly are and that success and if you're just normal, not impressive, just another person in the crowd, this will devastate you. Because you think that's where your meaning and your purpose is found. You think that's what you're here on earth for. All of those things. And we can go on and on, I think. If we had a roundtable discussion, we could think of so many more. So many more things that we look to to find our meaning and our purpose when all the while Paul is telling us before creation existed, God puts you together in Christ. That is who you are. You are my child. All that other stuff is just an addition. Friends, there's no need to leave this place today wondering who you are or what you're here for. We can end the conversation today. We can put it to rest because you were created to be in a relationship with God. That's what Paul is telling his church in Ephesus. This is what you were created for, to be in a relationship with with God. And once you begin to realize the true meaning and purpose, um, once you begin to realize that, that a true weighty meaning and purpose in this life is found in relationship with your creator, all of life becomes more clear. All of life becomes more clear. 
And for the first time, you'll, you'll work the way God designed you to work. You will love the way God has designed you to love. You will create, innovate, serve, parent, befriend, succeed, defend, and all the other adjectives we can get it. We will do things to the honor of God, never trying to find our meaning and purpose in those things, but doing those things to the glory of God. We'll be freed from the shackles that bind our heart and mind because if if we're not like that, I have no meaning. And if we're not like this, I have no meaning. There are so many people around us who think life is worthless. What if they heard this good news? So the first step is to realize that God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, is the source of this blessing that Paul is telling us. He is the source. The second thing is to realize that God the Son, this is Jesus, is the delivery of the blessing. He delivers this blessing to us. God can can put us together in Christ, but something has to happen for us to receive this new identity. There's things that separate God and creation. It's called sin. Apart from what Jesus had done on the cross, we cannot be associated with God. We cannot stand before him blameless. God will have nothing to do with wickedness. He is holy. He is otherly. He is God. Verses 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that's sins, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8. Which he lavished upon us in all of his wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. That's really nice, because now we know what God wants for us. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in who? Christ. Verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The delivery of the blessing, which is your identity, comes through and only through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that the delivery of our blessing comes in the form of a cross, essentially, in a tree, on some hill, in some ancient town many, many years ago. In Jesus Christ, we have the redemption Because he shed his blood. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back from our sin. We have been saved from our sin because of what Jesus has accomplished. We once found our meaning and purpose in following our own desires and what we wanted. And at one time, we all identified with our sinful flesh, with the things that we desired or with the things that we thought or the things that we were chasing. We were all once dead in our sin, but because the Redeemer has redeemed us. We have been blessed with his grace. We have been blessed with his wisdom. We have been blessed with the knowledge of God and that knowledge of his will revealed in his word. We know what God wants for us. We know what God desires of the people who he has redeemed. We know the purpose and meaning of our life. Jesus is the only one who has the inherent right to all the goodness of God, but because we now identify with him by our belief that goodness is now our goodness. We live within a new power. You are a new person. All who Jesus was, he has given to you. And all of who you were, he has taken upon himself at the cross. We once were alienated from God, but he sent a redeemer to deliver this blessing to those whom he would choose before creation was a creation. So now God the Father loves us. He, he, he loves us because he loves Jesus and he wants us to have everything that Jesus has. He has blessed us in all things. So sometimes we, we think 
And we read and we learn about the person of Jesus and we are in awe, and rightly so. Well, what Paul says is that everything that is Christ is also now yours. And every way that God blessed Jesus Christ, he is now blessing you. Jesus delivers to us a blessing for our new identity. We were once alienated from him, set apart from him, but now we're united with him. We are united with Christ in the heavenly places. There's a short poem that I, that I found. I did not write it. I'd love to take credit, but I won't. And I don't know who wrote it. There is no author, so I'll just read it to you. And it talks about a relationship like this. Near, so very near to God, nearer I could not be. For in the person of his son, I am just as near as he. Dear, so very dear to God, dearer I could not be. For in the person of his son, I am just as dear as he. God put us together in Christ. And any, everything that he has been blessed with, we are now blessed with. It's a profound truth. This is why it's a tragic thing for a Christian to be depressed about the way they fall short some days, about the way they fail. I mean, it's tragic that it's, you know, it's, it's sad. It's not, not condemning that. Certainly, we all fall into these moments of life where we feel like we're just a waste of space. But it's a tragic thing for a Christian to be depressed or condemned because of the way they've fallen short that day or that week or the things that they thought of that they weren't supposed to be thinking of. It's as if they think God holds their sin against them still. Friend, if you're here, walking in here, wondering if you're going to like implode because of the things you've done outside these doors, don't you hear that all the time? When I first we launched the church, I'd invite everybody that I met. I still kind of do. It gets, people get weirded out by me. But I always want them to come to church, and they go, oh, you don't want me coming to your church because I would just explode. I was like, Really? I know, there was like 1,700 churches that exploded over this past weekend. It was crazy. I said, don't you think churches would be exploding all over the place if people walked in that did something wrong with just burning up into flames? There'd be a whole new insurance scheme for that. I mean, that, you'd make a lot of money. But it is a tragic thing when the Christian, the one who's been put together in Christ, lives in a state of depression because if they think they're unworthy because of what they've done, because of what they've done. It's almost as though they forgot that God has taken their sins and put them on the person of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if they have forgotten that they are separated from their sin. That is not who they are any longer before God. That when God sees them, they see the goodness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if they forgot God has taken their sin and has separated them from their sin as far as the east stretches from the west. That's how far you are removed from your sin. Depressed and anxious Christians forget that God looked down through the hallway of time, through that corridor of time, even before he created the earth and he placed their sins. He placed your sins. He placed my sins on the head of Jesus who took them away for all eternity. They will never come revisit you again. You will never be held responsible for your sin ever again. He dismissed your sin before you were even born. He dismissed your sin. He had the plan to forgive you before you were even born. Our forgiveness is 
Our forgiveness in Christ is so undeserved, but hear me on this. It is so complete. It is complete. Jesus says, it is finished. He has taken away our sin. Jesus is the one who delivers this blessing through the redemption of his blood, through his death. And so third now, the Holy Spirit is the one who secures our blessing. It is God in his Trinitarian form, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one essence. It is a mystery. Holy Spirit is the one who secures our blessing, who seals the blessing within us. Verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, verse 14 says, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, the one who secures your blessing of your new identity, of the new person, made clean, set apart. I want us to think of these last, these last verses in the section as a promise. This is a promise from God. And although many of us have made promises and many people have broken promises in this world, we're kind of used to People breaking promises. In fact, we, we, we live our lives that way. It happens. We're sinful. We've all broken a promise. God has never, ever, and never will break a promise. He never has and he never will. When you become a Christian, when you believe, when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Something that is quite overlooked in the Christian. A lot of times when, when Christians want to commit themselves to walking with Jesus, they simply say, tell me the things I should be doing and tell me the things I should not be doing. What we've done is exchange a do and don't do list from the world to a do and don't do list for God. Never realizing the entire time that God has given us his Holy Spirit, a new power in which to live by, a new seal and the guarantee of the blessing we have in Christ. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Your new identity in Jesus is different because the Spirit of God is now within you. He is now within you. Last week, remember, he takes away your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. He is your helper. He empowers you. He equips you to serve the church. He is your advocate. He is interceding on your behalf before God. He protects you. He encourages you. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God's promise to the believer. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God's promise to the believer. It's as if he stamps you with a seal that reads, this person now belongs to me. Satan and all you demons and all the darkness, uh-uh, not going to happen. Go away. You see this mark I've just put on this person? You have no stance with them any longer. They have been freed from their sin. They have been freed from going about that temptation. I have saved them for my own possession. I have made them blameless for my name. You no longer take up occupation here. It's as if there's a seal that says, this person is a citizen of my kingdom. I have claim on their heart. I have claim on their life. This person is my child. This person's now in my family. 
He has totally set you apart. And then he has sealed you for his glory with his spirit. And church, if God is for you, who can be against you? That was our prayer time today, wasn't it? And if God is for you, who can be against you? If you are a child of God, who can come against you? If this Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, who can bring a condemning charge of your past life against you? Nobody. No one, not Satan, not all the demons. No one can bring a charge against you. Not even your own sin can come back and say, hey, remember, remember 2015, John? <laughs> remember that guy? Actually, no, I don't because I have a new identity sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are truly free. This new identity tells you you are truly free. Church, your new identity is sealed in the Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave has now said, I secure this blessing within you, and that cannot be reversed. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave has made you alive together in Christ, and he has sealed that. He has stamped his approval. There is no going back. There is nothing that can change that. Your new identity, this new identity, unlike your old one, is, is marked by peace, love, hope, joy, wisdom, eternal life, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, etc., etc., etc. Because of your new identity in Christ and the way that we have been blessed with all that Christ has been blessed with, he we all possess what Christ possesses. Unity with the Father. Blameless before God. Freed, forgiven. This is one big run-on sentence. It's as if Paul sat down and said, I cannot wait to address my people in Ephesus. And then he just couldn't stop glorifying God. He just kept going and going. I don't want to read it out loud, which, I, which is why I asked John, because I would butcher it. Because it's actually hard to read out loud. Go ahead, leave here and do it. Do it in your car alone so nobody makes fun of you. It is hard to read this run-on sentence aloud and make sense of it. But when you realize that God the Father is the source of this blessing, this is what Paul is telling them. Jesus Christ secures this blessing and the Holy Spirit seals this blessing. He delivers it and then he seals it. What these verses tell us is that you have the permission to no longer live you have to no longer, you can no longer live wondering what you're here for or who you are made to be. That is the blessing God has given you. He has placed you in him before creation was creation. He knew you and he knew all of your failures and all of your faults and he chose you. So what if? What if all the things that we're invested in in this world, which are a lot of good things, there's plenty of good things to be invested in. What if we no longer found our identity in those things? So whether they're taken away or whether they're not taken away, we are still the same forgiven person before God. What if? It would change the way you operate. It would change the way you think. It would change the way you speak. It would change the way you love people or not love people. It would change the way you serve. It would change the way you interact with God if you realize that there is no going back because the Holy Spirit has sealed within you a blessing, a blessing of a new identity.
This is why every week we invite you to humble yourself before God. So many of us come here every week and we enjoy it. That's a good thing. We want this to be enjoyable. But so many of us have yet to humble ourselves before God and say, I realize who I am. I don't really like it. (laughs) And I think a lot of people are lying to me because they don't really like me either. Just joking. (laughs) But I know myself and I know there are some things that I am not right with God. Friends, these verses tell us that he is reaching out to you because he has chosen you. And when you humble yourself before God, this blessing now becomes yours. I would just say, if you are here and you have not confessed to God that you're a sinner and that he is a savior, if you have not humbled yourself before his cross and say, all of my hopes and dreams that I once thought I was supposed to find on this world, I give now to you. I find all of this in you. I want to be for you. I want to be with you. I want you to guide me. I want your Holy Spirit to take up residence in my life. If this is you today, make today the day that you do that. Don't leave here wondering about it any longer. There's no reason to. Make today the day you look at the cross where Jesus died and see it for what it truly is. The one and only place where you will see forgiveness from God. The only place which will secure your new identity. Amen?